0: Their jerseys may not hang in the Rafters in Staples Center, but they hang in our hearts. You're listening to the Forgotten Lakers Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for doing this tonight. I really appreciate it.
0: No, my pleasure. Sorry it's taken so long to connect. I appreciate your patience.
1: No, no, uh, not a problem at all. I know I had reached out to you a few months back, and you know I've done about 30 of these with former Lakers, and sometimes I you know, I don't hear anything for a few months and I think, Oh, let me try again. And it usually pans out. So yeah. Yeah. And I know so I'm glad it's good it here. here. Yeah, me too. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the podcast. Um, it's called forgotten Lakers. It's uh, I've done. Like I said, I've done about 30, 31 episodes with, you know, either uh former Lakers players or, you know, kind of guys who are around the team in one way or there or another, um, on all players except for maybe two episodes. I did one with Andy Bernstein, the longtime photographer, um, and then another one with Spiro Didis, who was their Lakers radio play-by-play guy um, earlier this... Yeah, so earlier this decade. So other than that, um, yeah, lots of former players, guys who were on the Lakers for as little as one game to some maybe like five, six, seven years. Um, And it's been really... Yeah, it's been really cool just talking about their history with basketball, uh, their time in Los Angeles and what they're doing now. The audience has grown a little bit. You know, I get about maybe three, four hundred downloads every single time I put an episode online. And uh, I get, it's cool when I get some feedback from guys who will say, like, oh, I remember that guy. Like, this brings me back to my childhood. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, well, you may
0: not get much of that with me.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it's all good. Well, yeah, so I know you're working with, uh, we can go go ahead and get started. And um, I know you're working with the National Basketball Players Association now. Uh, What's your role with them?
0: Uh, So I I work in an area called career development. So it really has nothing to do with, um, I guess what you might typically think about with a players union, the collective bargaining and uh, player salaries and things like that. So what I do is really... uh, just help prepare players. Uh, Well, two things really to, we have an eye for what they're going to do when they're done playing. Mm -hmm. So to try to begin that process of the transition, even while they're playing and we will start working with players as early as when they're rookies, even at the pre-draft combine that they go to, usually in Chicago. Mm -hmm. The other thing is just to really help them maximize being NBA players and all the opportunities that that affords, Uh, in the business world or just, you know, whether the foundations or whatever goals um, or aspirations they might have off the court just to try to help them use that platform they have as an NBA player to really make those things uh, happen. Mm -hmm.
1: Do you find a lot of these guys are receptive to that kind of stuff or do (laughs) other guys tend to brush it off at the beginning or how does that work? Well,
0: the, the two challenges, I guess, would be, the fact that there's not a great deal of urgency just because uh, all of the players, even the older veterans are still really young men. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the focus of their lives is on the court and playing basketball as it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that you guys are making good salaries. So it's kind yeah. of hard to play this out 10 years from when you're done playing or 15 years or 30 that years down the road. Um, for them to get a sense of uh, maybe the importance of starting the planning process now. So um, it has changed over the years. Uh, Mm -hmm. We do have, I think, just the sophistication of the players um, in terms of what's available to them off the court, uh, their ability to network or the desire to network and make relationships. And I think they've also had great role models with some of the older NBA players and seen some of the things that they have done yeah, uh, which has, I think, inspired them. So it's kind of become an aspirational uh, thing for a lot of the players. But again, the the most difficult point is just um, creating any kind of sense of urgency, um, especially when they're younger.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, well, that sounds like some great work you're doing. I know a lot of the former guys I've talked to, they've wanted to find ways to stay involved with basketball, but it hasn't panned out in one way or another. So I'm happy that you are able to. So just getting into your personal career and everything, uh, so when did basketball start becoming like a central focus for you? Like when did you go from, oh, this is really fun, I enjoy playing, to I have a future in this?
0: Well, we moved around a lot when I was young. So uh, one of our stops was in Kentucky, which um, I think most people know is a huge basketball state, Mm -hmm. kind of like skateboarding for, it's just part of the culture in California. Uh, mm-hmm. It's that way for basketball in Kentucky. So regardless of what your, you know, main interests are as a kid, you're, all, you're just going to play basketball because that's what everybody else is doing. It was there that I really first started to play. Um And it was maybe two or three years in um, this, I would have been probably, you know, well into high school at that point that I started to have some success and was and, and thought maybe I could maybe at least play in college.
1: So what was the recruitment process that led to you going from playing in high school in Kentucky to going to college in Virginia?
0: Well, what it happened the last few years, um, I, I think I just really blossomed as a player. So I had a great deal of success and was playing nationally. Um, in fact, it was my senior year that I first met Magic Johnson, who obviously would later be a teammate of mine. Um, and we went on some of the all-star uh you know, overseas trips together and things like that. But, uh, the, the recruiting process was, it was crazy, really. Um, at that point, recruiting was a lot different than it is now. Um, so basically it was any number of colleges reaching out to me, either through my family or me personally. Uh, typically it was through our high school coach. Um, mm-hmm. and you kind of dwindled down from there and you went on your recruiting trips uh none of the players you really knew if you didn't play against them directly in your own league there was no AAU then uh, so it was it was much different but uh, ultimately uh I had thought being from Kentucky that either Kentucky or Indiana and those were back in the days of Bobby Knight when he was at his height um I was really uncertain either of those but my high school coach went to Virginia um And this did not have anything to do with me, but I just enjoyed playing for him so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, I looked at Virginia for the first time and took a quick visit there and just decided that might be the best place for me.
1: So, yeah, I wanted to touch on your college and your recruitment. We did that. And then uh, so I know you said you were coming out of high school thinking that you probably had a good shot to play in college. Um, What point did the NBA become a realistic option for you? Or at least were you personally thinking that you had a shot?
0: I don't think I really ever thought it was an opportunity. So maybe my junior year. And again, this was so long ago that guys stayed in school. Very rarely did you have a, a player leave early and they called it a hardship case back then. Um, but you, typically guys did not declare early for the draft. They just graduated or finished their four years and, and then were drafted. Uh, but I, I think it was my junior year when we, uh, as a program, started having some fair amount of success and some national exposure. Um, and then there was some talk among the commentators and, you know, some of the newspapers and that, um, and that it might be a possibility for me. And then as my senior year, we were really good. Um, we were ranked number one or two for most of the season. I had a tremendous amount of uh, coverage, like games on TV and that kind of thing. And at that point, uh, most people were saying um that it would be a real possibility that it was you know this barring any kind of injury uh that that would be you know realistic shot for me
1: so uh and you're drafted kind of you know middle of the first round portland play there for a few years go to then milwaukee san antonio and before you got to the lakers you took uh, a year off from the nba and played in Italy. Were you, was there an option for you to play in the NBA that year or did you just want to try and go see what um you know what the overseas career was going to be able to offer you?
0: Well, I would say as uh attractive as overseas can be, I don't know it certainly wasn't my case. I don't think any NBA player would want to leave Oh yeah. Uh, the NBA and, and go over there. So what happened to me really was the phone just didn't ring that summer. Um, I'd finished my uh, contract with the uh Portland Trailblazers it was you know my rookie contract, mm-hmm. and just didn't have any real interest um, played for a little bit played for another season uh, between milwaukee and and San antonio, and thought I had a good season but again uh there just wasn 't anything really out there for me so i went decided to go overseas played in Italy for a year uh, and my time in the n b a um, was not I was very much a role player, very very much a deep in the bench on the bench role player. So I, I did not have a lot of minutes. So it was really great for me to be able to go overseas and you know, mm-hmm. play every minute of every game, and you know um, just offensively have have everything revolve around me. So it just allowed me to kind of uh, get back to used to playing consistent minutes, and I think I improved a lot uh, over the course of of that year there. And I was all set to go back as well, but I, I had a summer injury, which prevented it, which turned out to be a huge blessing for me.
1: A summer injury that prevented you from returning to Europe after to Italy?
0: Yeah, I had a very good year. Uh, that one year in Italy, I um, yeah. had just signed a two-year contract with another team. And I just at that point assumed my NBA days were over, mm-hmm. um, was going to make a home uh, over in Europe. Uh, I guess coincidentally uh, enough, or as fate would have it, um, I was working out. I would always come back to Los Angeles in the summers, Mm -hmm. and there was a health club uh, in L.A. that Jerry West happened to belong to, and I was working out there, and I knew him a little bit just from college, and I used to go work uh, one of his basketball camps. Uh, And the Lakers were putting together their summer league team, and he suggested that I go uh, just to stay in shape. And he thought maybe I might be a good influence on some of the younger players, certainly with no idea that it would be, you know, lead to a tryout for me or, you know, a roster spot. So I agreed to do it. And during the summer league ended up uh, dislocating my shoulder and Mm. surgery. So the the team overseas uh, basically tore the contract up. Oh i didn't gosh. really have anywhere to go um
1: and so, so there's no guarantee to that west. contract
0: no no and it's a different world back then over there overseas it uh, yeah. was <laughs> uh, it's guaranteed once you get the money in the bank and before then it's you know keep your fingers crossed and hope oh yeah and so it's much different over there now but that was back in my era that's how it was but so i ended up calling jerry west up after i had recuperated a little bit and this was a few weeks before training camp was going to start and just asked them if I could come to training camp mm-hmm. um, in the hopes that some other team might see me or some other team in Europe to see that I was healthy. Um, so they finally agreed, and I ended up having a really great training camp and ultimately made the team. So it's funny how that worked out, but it was certainly to my favor.
1: Yeah, you're so you're on the Lakers for parts of two years. That first year, 87, 88, uh-huh. um, I know you played in a handful of games towards the beginning of the year, uh, three games total, but didn't get to see any action after that. Was that due to injury or just luck of the draw because of the stacked roster or what led to your limited playing time that first year?
0: Oh, injury. In fact, I, the first three games had gotten some minutes. Um, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily a part of the rotation, but I was getting minutes, which Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily expect. Um, but then I did. I dislocated my shoulder again. Um, oh! It was old player Benoit Benjamin, who I don't think anybody well may or may not remember, but big yeah, guy. And I, I ended up trying to steal the ball from him while he was shooting, and and re, this time really dislocated my shoulder. And it, it, it the at that point it was basically season ending ending surgery. Uh, wow. So that yes, was that's... the end of my first year there.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that right at The beginning looked like it. I guess it happened in November of that season and yeah. uh, didn't see the floor again as the Lakers went on to win the title. Um, I
0: had, I had a front row seat for that whole title run.
1: Yes, seat I, was in the just, house. I was just going to ask. Um, so yeah, like I was, it, when I was explaining kind of the whole theme of this podcast, it, be, it being called forgotten Lakers, a lot of role players like yourselves who may or may not have seen a lot of court time. Does did winning the title of that year and, you know, I guess, you know, the following year getting the ring and everything, knowing that you didn't see the floor, did that make it kind of bittersweet? Or was that even like going in your head at that time?
0: You know, honestly, um my whole uh, accomplishment that first season with the Lakers was to make the team, yeah. which was a huge long shot. Um having only played a few games and then the most of the year, I was just out of commission towards maybe the last month of the season and on into the playoffs, mm-hmm. I was able to practice a little bit and contribute that way. Mm-hmm. It was not something I felt like I had earned. Um, mm-hmm. in fact, I didn't even go to the parade just cause I didn't, I felt like the guys had earned it and, you know, because of the injury, you know, I didn't really feel like that was appropriate or, you know, I, I shouldn't be out there celebrating. However, I will say it was one of the most amazing experiences for me just to be there and be a part of it, um and be part of the practices and the team as I was, just to go through a championship run, just to see what it took, um the sacrifices, the way the team played together, overcoming, you know, all of the obstacles, it was a crazy playoffs and I think yeah. every game or every series went to you know however seven games and back then I think the first series it was three out of five mm-hmm. but it was just it was an amazing experience and it was something that uh, I took a lot from but it was really though I didn't feel like I had accomplished it um, you know any part of the championship it was a really great experience for me and you know made some great relationships as you might imagine and um, so I'm glad I went through it. It was, however, very frustrating not to be able to play or, and luckily enough, I was, um, uh, um, invited back to camp next year and, and made the team a second time. Mm-hmm. And I think they thought enough of me. Maybe it was my work ethic or just what I was able to contribute, even though I wasn't out on the court. Cause they, they did offer me a contract for the next year with a little raise. So, um, that made me feel good?
1: No, yeah, I bet. Um, And I meant to ask you this before getting into your first year in LA, uh, but I'll circle back now, you know, having spent, you know, three, four or five years um, as a professional with Portland, Milwaukee and the Spurs, did you have any um, preconceived notions when go, you know, about the Lakers or about Los Angeles that turned out to either be accurate or false, you know, maybe about the organization, Magic, Kareem, Pat Riley, did you have any preconceived notions about those? Well,
0: so, having played against, so I was in the Western Conference, other than that brief time I was in Milwaukee.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, we played against the Lakers, you know, multiple times every year and sometimes in the preseason. So, you get to know um, a lot about the players. The organization, obviously, the reputation proceeded, everything was done first class. And so, and they were winning championships. So, you know, there were no surprises at all. In that regard, mm-hmm. I think once I started, you know, playing with the Lakers and made the team, um, you know, they had a Hall of Famers, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Magic and Kareem and James Worthy and, you know, uh, Pat Riley as coach and, you know, the elite of the superstars. And it was just amazing for me to see the sacrifices they made in their own personal game. Um, and they measured everything by wins. And, you know, they would always talk about in the locker room that when it came time for, you know, contracts and renewing contracts and new deals and that type of thing, um, that championships always went a lot farther than personal stats. And it it was amazing just to see uh, these people who statistically could have, you know, done probably twice as much as they were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, by looking at a box score just because they sacrificed for the team and to win the championships. And, you know, that was their whole complete and entire focus. And, uh, you know, once I was a part of that and could see it firsthand, it just was not, other than the incredible talent um, of the players, it was easy to see why they had had the success and continue to have the success that they did.
1: Oh, I bet. So after two years in L.A., you finish off with a few years overseas. You know, it's uh, interesting. I um, So I have a Forgotten Lakers Instagram account also where I post uh, a lot of photos of guys like yourself and whatever video clips I can find of their highlights. And I was looking for some stuff for you. And I, d- I did find one jump shot you made in the NBA Finals uh, versus Detroit. Um, but I also found, I, I don't know, I guess it was in Europe somewhere, but you playing in the game versus Arvita Sabonis? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you remember that?
0: Yeah, you know, in fact, I just, um, out of the blue, uh, the team I played for in Spain was Granada, the city, and um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it was the anniversary of that game or whatever, but um, I do remember it. It was because I shot, I think, 29 free throws or 28 and missed one. Oh wow. <laughs> um, but just did a quick little interview with the the guy over there about that. But it was yeah. So we did play his team and I ended up shooting I think it's the most free throws for certainly in Spain.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um and I'm not sure I said it may have been in any league um
1: number oh, wow. of free throws. Yeah, I saw that clip and yeah, you were playing in there and I saw Sabonis. it was only about a three or four minute clip, but uh, I thought that was cool just given his international fame at that time and um you know obviously before he got to Portland in the NBA.
0: Yep, and he was uh I played against him uh two or three times and then once with him um in the little All-Star game that they had there but uh it was just and I don't think anybody at that point thought that he was going to try to play in the NBA. I know he had been battling the injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh and I I guess everyone thought he was pretty content. Um, and that was before many um, international players came to the NBA. Um, it was very rare back then, though everybody knew he had the talent to do it. I don't think anybody felt that he could. But you can just see how um, it's just a different feel for the game. Obviously, physically talented and had all the tools, but just um, his sense of how he saw the game, his ability to pass and recognize, you know, open men and cutters in addition to what he could do on the post and score. Had a nice little jump. I mean, obviously, his, his career speaks for itself.
1: But, sure, um, yeah.
0: But that, you know, what? given my NBA career, I, you know, I, I didn't get a lot of minutes. And there weren't a tremendous number of highlight games. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few. But, you know, you start to measure yourself and your accomplishments. And one of the things you, you take into account are the people that you either played against or with. Um, so in the NBA, you know, I always think oh, I was lucky enough to play with Magic and play against Bird and Michael Jordan and and Dr. J and people like that. Um, but I would hold Arvita Sabonis up there, being able to play against him in Europe. Um, maybe not quite at that level, but, you know, mm-hmm. certainly up there. Because um, just, you, you know, you recognize great talent when you see it.
1: So in addition to your work with the uh, Players Association, Uh, What else has life after basketball uh, been about for you? Is that the kind of work you've been since you retired or have you gotten into other things as well? Uh,
0: So this has really been the focus for me for, I guess, 18 or 19 years now. Mm. Um, And it's it's uh, it's pretty time consuming just because you're on the player schedule and at most of the games and um, with the summer programs and that that we do. Uh, mm-hmm. I did a few different things. Uh, it took me a little while after I got done playing to kind of land on my feet and figure out what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I started working with the Players Association and doing this, I not only recognized the need, but I enjoyed the work. And uh, yeah, I think it's been a good fit.
1: I'm in, for my day job, I work in, a, you know, for nonprofit membership associations, doing a lot of continuing education and career development as well. Um, nothing as cool as the NBA Players Association, but uh, I can see how that type of work is definitely rewarding.
0: Yeah, just uh, helping people realize, uh, especially with the NBA. I mean, no one feels sorry for them and nobody should because uh, they mm-hmm. are very blessed people. though they've worked hard, but it's just uh, I don't think most people understand uh, the pressure, number one, just to maintain, uh, to make it to that level and, and stay at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but just also the incredible targets that they are. Um, and the pressures they have, you know, with family and obviously financial and money managers and and people trying to take advantage. And uh, there's, you know, it's not quite so easy as everybody thinks. And um, it looks like a lot of fun and they make a ton of money, which is, you know, great. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there's the other side of it too. And then, you know, we always think of NBA players and we think of, you know, Kobe or LeBron, but the average lifespan is a little over four years yeah uh, and most of those players um are around the league minimum so which is still an incredible amount of money for for most people but if you're Mm -hmm. making that for two three four years then you know it's not going to last and so uh they're kind of the forgotten players uh, people that you know no one really thinks about but um an interesting stat as well is that uh, typically there's about 75 players that turn over every year. So for example, you know, right now there's 75 guys walking around out there that were in the league last year that are not this year. Um, and those numbers at the, after three years, that's well over 50%. So the turnover is incredible. And, you know, so there's just the real need for preparation and, and to start thinking about, you know, how can I use basketball to help me off the court when I'm done and, create additional income streams and businesses and that type of thing. So like I said, it's been rewarding. It's been a lot of work, but it's um uh it's been it's really great for me.
1: Yeah, I bet. Uh like I said, definitely I can see how that would be rewarding. Um a quick question about the logistics about that. I was just thinking um So, like, let's say a guy's career was a 10-day contract and he played in, like, a handful of games. Does he have the same type of access to resources the Players Association provides as to, like, a 15-year veteran?
0: So it depends, I I think, what you're talking about. So if you're talking about, like, being vested for the pension, then no. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of those other um, rights that would come – um, for being a member a, a lot of those things you need to have played in the league for three years okay however in terms of the things that I do um, usually there's no um, you, you don't have to play three years if you if you're in the league then it's kind of like you're uh, eligible then to at least for the type of work that I do to mm. to, to get so it's you know it kind of depends and again that's where the um, the things like uh you know your pension and your they have a an escrow account now for for players and you know the way the money is situated and and um handed out all of that stuff is more dependent upon how long you play um uh, than the types of things that I'm doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh okay. Yeah, I was just curious about that just as a uh... You know, just a yeah. general NBA fan, how that works.
0: So the the 10-day contract guy is not on the same level as the 15-year career. So,
1: no. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I got one last question for you, uh, getting back to your Lakers stop. I like to end each episode with a little Lakers trivia question that relates to, um, you know, that player's time in L.A. So that your first year in L.A., 80, 87, 88, you guys go on to win the title. Including you, there are 15 guys who played on the 1988 Lakers. How many of those can you name?
0: (laughs) Uh, I'll be lucky to do three, I think, as old as I am now. So you want me to
1: try to name them?
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, So obviously there's um, Magic and Kareem and James Worthy and Michael Cooper and Kurt Rambis and A.C. Green, Wes Matthews, Mm so we've got some injured reserve list uh, yep. people. So I think um, David Rivers came in. That may have been year two.
1: I think that was year uh, Byron. two. Byron.
0: Yeah, okay. So Byron, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Smarek. Yep. Now we're starting to struggle. <laughs> uh, Billy Thompson. Yep. Did I say Milt Wagner?
1: You did not. So the
0: okay.
1: Uh, I think you just need two more now. Three more. Three more. I'm sorry.
0: So Tony, and I'm blanking on his last name, and he's a friend of mine. Um, Tony <laughs> Campbell.
1: Yep. Two and more.
0: Last two more of your one, and I'm blanking right now.
1: Um, well, you said Billy Thompson. So there's a, there was another Thompson on the team.
0: Oh, Michael. How can I forget Michael? I played with yeah. him three years in, in, uh, Portland as well.
1: Yeah. And one more, um, he went to Indiana, if that's a hint. Uh, I forget. Uh, let me see. I want to check out how many games he played. Cause I, I, maybe you won't feel so bad if he only played like, you know, one or something. Um, oh, he played in 14 games, Ray Tolbert.
0: Well, I don't even remember Ray being a part of it. And I know him well from high school. Oh, Uh, okay. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah,
1: yeah, he was there, um, split that year between the Lakers and the Knicks, but yeah, he played in 14 games for the Lakers that year.
0: Okay. Well, I must have just gotten out of surgery then. Was probably, yeah, maybe so.
1: (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, I really appreciate you being a part of the Forgotten Lakers podcast and um, hope the rest of the season and your work with the Players Association goes well for you.
0: Okay. Thank you, Jeff. No, it was fine. I appreciate it.
1: No problem. Have a nice night. Thank you.
0: You do the same. Thank you.